The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Hi everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of the Pokemon Snapshot. Hi Tyler, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm pretty fantastic, Jeff. I am week one into my three-week break from work for the holidays. Yeah, yeah, rub it in. I'm on vacation all week too, so at least I get to enjoy a week, but not three weeks like you do. Yeah. It's because I'm a model employee, that's why they gave it to me. Totally has nothing to do with disciplinary action. I'm I'm not even gonna comment on that. I You work for a school district, that's why you got three weeks off, Tyler. Don't don't make people think you're just a great employee. Okay, yeah, it's cause it, it is because I work for a school district. Alright, and just a little bit of housekeeping before we get started. Remember, you can always tweet us at Pokemon Snapshot or email us at thepokemonsnapshot at gmail.com. And so if you want to tell us how you enjoy these episodes, please let us know. And also don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or really any podcast of your that you, that you choose to listen to. We are checking the Apple Podcasts, and if we see a review, we will read it on air. So, Tyler, are we ready to get into the episode? Oh, I'm ready to get going into this bad boy. All right, so today's episode was called Pokemon Shipwreck, which, in Japanese, it was called Pokemon Adrift. I love that. That is a great name. That is. It it makes it sound a lot more fancy than it really is. Yeah, that could be the name of, like, a Pokemon-themed ska band. Like a 90s ska band. That'd be sweet. I was thinking of a Pokemon romance novel. Yeah, I guess it could work that way, too. By Nicholas Sparks. Yeah. Having a Jinx and a Magmar just staring at each other. We, Tyler, we need to write this. Yeah, you, uh, you get a head start, and I'll jump in when I feel that it's necessary, Jeff. All right, but now off our tangent, let's just get going. So today's episode aired on July 15th, 1997 in Japan and on September 29th, 1998 in the United States. And a note I want to make before we get started is this is the first episode to air after the release of Pokemon Red and Blue in the United States. So the first 15 episodes was kind of a lead up to get people hyped up for the games and now the games are officially out and as Americans can finally see what these pocket monsters are all about. This is when stuff got really real. Yep. All right, Tyler. So let's get on with our episode. Okay. We begin our episode with a reminder of what happened last time. As you may recall, if you listened in, this was a giant cliffhanger that we were left off with. So a quick reminder of what's going on is definitely in order. Team Rocket, the larger organization and not just Jesse, James, and Meowth, tricked a bunch of Pokemon trainers onto a cruise ship called the St. Anne by giving them freak tickets to a Pokemon convention. Their plan was foiled, but now the ship has been caught in a storm and it is sinking to the bottom of the ocean with both Ash and his party and Jesse, James, and Meowth still stuck aboard. Will they make it out alive 
or will they suffer the same fate as our poor dude Jack or that dude that fell onto the ship's propeller from the movie Titanic? And I just want to take as, as a side note, when, since Titanic seems to keep coming up, you know, like, when you see an action movie and, like, you have the main characters, like, surviving all this crazy stuff and then eventually maybe one of them dies at the end, but they usually get out? I would definitely in that situation be one of the background people that, like, falls onto the propeller. Like, that would be me. No, no cinematic death. It would just be a quick shot of me shoving my wife down and running for the lifeboat, only for the ship to raise out of the water and send me plummeting into a propeller 30 feet below. I can see that, and I'm not sure who I would be. I would probably just be one of those people that are just, like, running for their life. I don't even get the propeller scene. I'm just running for my life, and I'm just one of the ones that you don't see in the crowd of survivors. Yeah, you'll be one of those people that's just, like, running, and then later on it flashes to you splashing around in the water, and you're like, this is deeper than five feet! I'm doomed! And then you die. Yes, yes, that would be me. Okay. Once the recap from the last episode is done, we see a police ship wading through the rubble of the shipwreck. It appears the storm is over and they are looking for survivors. And here's a fun fact. The ship, on the ship it says PM-16, which actually stands for Pocket Monsters, and this was episode 16. Hey, look at that, a little... I know. Well, what do they call that when you, like, break the reality barrier in a show? I'm brain farting. Breaking the fourth wall? Yeah, they broke the fourth wall with that one a little bit. That's kind of neat. We hear Officer Jenny explaining that at first they thought everyone had gotten safely off the ship, but, the now, but that they now know that five people are missing. It appears they have given up on Ash and the group and Team Rocket and are assuming that they are dead because Officer Jenny explains how tragic it is that their lives were cut short. She then throws a bouquet into the water and all of the officers do a salute as taps is played with, with like a French horn or something. I'm not I'm not good at band instruments there. Maybe Jeff could help. I think it's a trumpet, actually. Yeah, it was probably a trumpet. Okay, so they're playing taps with the trumpet as the sun is setting in the background. It's just like really like somber scene. The bouquet cinematically sinks to the bottom of the ocean as the trumpet is being played and it disappears into the dark depths of the ocean below. What a terrible, boring funeral that is. At my funeral, I want to be lowered into the ground to an acoustic version of Pour Some Sugar on Me by Def Leppard, and I also want a pretzel machine serving all-you-can-eat pretzels by my grave, because everybody loves pretzels. And, as an added benefit, people that didn't know me that well and are just there for the free food will be standing around at my funeral going, what the heck is up with this guy? Because he has a pretzel vendor, you know, serving pretzels as he's being lowered into his grave. I cannot wait. No offense, now I hope you die before I do so I can show up to that. Well, good thing you got a couple year head start on me, so we probably won't have to worry about that. I'm invincible, Jeff. So I had a couple things about the scene. One, how do they know that Jesse and James were down there as well? Because if you look at it, Ash, Misty, and Brock had, had been known they were down there because they had tickets to the event, so they would have their names attached to something. Jesse and James snuck onto the ship, so there was no way of telling that they would have still been down there. And I don't think their boss would have been, would have cared enough to let them know that they were down there. Yeah, he's honestly probably counting his blessings, so yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea how they knew. And the other thing I wanted to note was, did anyone tell their parents? I mean, these are children. I feel the most important thing to do in this situation is to tell their families. But we're just going to have the funeral right away. We're not going to wait for their parents to show up. 
Honestly, they're not very far from their parents. I mean, it took them that long to get there because he they got lost multiple times. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like they could have definitely called the parents and been like, hey, you all want to come out here and watch this really boring funeral that we threw together for your kids where we uh, uh, say, play taps even though they have no, no um, connection to the military whatsoever and then salute them, bury them at sea as you will. And then they'd be like, what? My child's dead and yada, yada, yada. It'd be this whole thing. They probably just wanted to avoid that awkward conversation. That kind of would have ruined the episode. Once the boring funeral is over, we flash to inside of the ship where we see Brock, Misty, and Pikachu waking Ash up. Ash is confused because everyone is upside down and they ask him if he is feeling okay. He says, what are you talking about? Am I feeling okay? You guys are the ones upside down. Brock then corrects Ash, explaining that, in fact, Ash is the one that's upside down. Ash then realizes he is caught on a table by his pants and he plummets to the ground. I'm not sure why the rest of them didn't try to get him down safely before he woke up, but that is definitely a funnier way to wake him up. Like, instead of, like, you know, like, gently grabbing him and, like, lowering him down, they're like, you know what? He's strung up by his pants. Let's just wake him up and then he'll fall and hurt himself. I was thinking the same thing. Maybe they thought it was such a dire situation that they needed some laughter to go along with it. Plus, let's let's be honest, Ash deserves it every single time something like this happens to him. Oh, for sure. Ash lands on Pikachu, unfortunately, and Ash asks what happened. Misty tells him to look out the window and he sees fish floating by. It dawns on Ash that the ship has sunk, and we get to see that the ship has landed on top of this like narrow-looking mountain pole-type thing sticking out of an even darker drop below. So... And this is important later on in the episode, but basically it's like this long, thin pillar of a mountain-type thing sticking out of a dark abyss, and the ship is literally teetering on it. So this ship is about to tip over and plummet even further into the depths of the ocean. We then change scenes to a tropical island where we see Jesse and James lounging on a beach in swimsuits, and they're doing their little poem thing to themselves as they do this for who knows what reason. They're commenting on how nice the blazing sun is when James realizes he is actually on fire. He comes to with himself and Jesse laying upside down in a kitchen with the oven blowing fire on them. So they're like imagining being in the sun and James is like, oh, I'm going to get such a sweet tan. I'm getting baked by the sun, yada, yada, yada. And then they just realize that they're hallucinating. They're actually on fire and laying underneath of a oven that is blowing flames out of it for who knows what reason. They jump out of the way, and Meowth explains that the ship is upside down at the bottom of the ocean. James freaks out, and Jesse tells him to calm down because she has already thought of a way to get them out. So Jesse is not worried about this. She's like, I got you all. Jesse then throws out an Ekans and tells it to use acid to open a hole in the floor. Meowth yells no, but it is too late. Ekans creates a hole in the floor with acid, and water begins to pour in. Meowth tells her she is an idiot because the last thing they need right now is another hole in the ship. That's it, Jesse. For this stunt, you are officially further on the wall of shame than the other Team Rocket members. Like, that literally, who has that thought? Oh, we're on a ship at the bottom of the ocean? Let's punch a hole through it. Maybe at this time they didn't realize they were at the bottom of the ocean. I mean, she was just trying to get out. But if this hole brought in water, would it have been smarter them just to try to swim out the hole, or would that have worked, Tyler? What? Could you repeat that? 
would they have been able to swim out of the hole, Tyler? Because that's what my no. thought is. If you're going to make this hole, just swim out of the hole now and go to the surface best you can. No. And, and it was established by me out that they were at the bottom of the ocean. Like, he's like, the ship has sunk and, and all that stuff. Like, it, it was pretty clear to everybody that they were at the bottom of the ocean at this point. This was just blatantly a dumb move. And even still, with the water rushing through the hole, good luck swimming through it. It actually would have shoved them the opposite direction. But the like, as I was telling Jeff before we started recording, I'm really, as a former physics teacher, I'm trying really hard not to get into the bad physics of this episode because it will just start me on a tangent that will never end. Uh, there, There is just never-ending bad physics in this episode. So uh, buckle your seatbelts if you're into that type of thing because none of this is going to make any sense to you. Jesse and James seeing the water pouring through the hole, use their bodies to try to hold the water from coming in through the hole. The water pushes them off, which is what I would have expected to happen, and we see them floating down the hallway that is now full of water. They appear to be drowning. Before we can see this happen, though, we change scenes again to Ash and his party walking into a stairwell. Ash wonders what they should do, and Misty says that they should keep calm because as long as there is air inside the ship, it will take time to fill up with water. Brock then chimes in and says, sure, but we better not waste any time escaping. Captain Obvious saves the day again. Thanks, Brock. And as I said earlier, I'm no scientist, but I'm not actually sure it is the air that is stopping the water from filling in faster. I don't think that's how it works. Well... It's, it can, like, I, I've heard of, like, people, like, having overturned canoes, like, underwater. Like, if you trap an air bubble, it can do that, um, but they would be crushed at the bottom of the ocean regardless. Like, you want to know what happens in the real world when this happens, Jeff? They would all be crushed to smithereens by the pressure of the water, and they'd probably be drowned before they hit the bottom. So, uh, I don't think that... I mean, like I said, we could dig into it, but I, I do think... I'm not sure how it would work with an entire ship. I doubt it would be airtight enough for that to work, but, like, with, like, a canoe or something, you could kind of get an air bubble going underneath of there, but um, it you tilt it, like, one direction or the other, and you'll screw it up. So I'm going to go with no, probably not. Yeah, it's just like the old trick you'd play as a kid... I don't know, there was like this a science experiment I remember doing where you had to wad up a napkin in a cup and you put the cup in a filled sink and you bring it up and the napkin's still dry because the air bubble keeps the napkin dry. Right. But it's a lot different when your vessel isn't a canoe or a small cup. It's a giant cruise ship. Yeah, I don't think that they would have, I don't think it would be airtight enough to trap an air bubble in it like that. Like, And I, I'd have to get way deeper into this to figure out you know, whether or not this would be possible, but I'm going to go with no, probably not. This was, this whole thing is bad. They, they should be dead, Jeff. I just want to make that clear. They should be very dead. And anytime we analyze the science of this episode, just remember, none of it matters. They should just be dead. All right. I'll remember that. <laughs> oh, man. Misty and Ash not in agreement, as if they didn't already know that, and Misty says that they can either go up or down. Ash says that since the ship is sinking, they should definitely head up. However, they figure that since the ship is upside down, they will have to dive down to the deck to get out of the ship. Brock then points out that, they, if, they, that if they attempt this and they come across a dead end, they are done for. At this point, Ash pictures himself getting stuck down there while trying to swim out and then drowning. Holy cow, this episode gets dark. 
Like, this is not the first or last time we're going to encounter somebody potentially dying here. Ash panics at this thought and says, well, how are we supposed to know, in reference to them knowing what route to take? At this question, Misty pulls out a Pokeball and says, water is my specialty! She throws out a Goldeen and tells Goldeen to dive down and find a way out. It should then return with something from the outside so that they know Goldeen was successful. And I just want to say that this is overall not a great plan, in my opinion. Do they not trust Goldeen? So they ask Goldeen to, like, actually grab something from the outside of the ship and bring it in. And I wonder, you know, do they not trust Goldeen? Do they think Goldeen is going to lead them to their death? And how will they know that the object that Goldeen actually grabs is from outside the ship? As opposed to, like, inside the ship that's submerged with water. Plus, all of that aside, what are they planning on doing when they get out of the ship at the bottom of the ocean? That's the other thing I'm wondering, because aside from the water pressure you know, crushing them, um, there's no way they'll be able to hold their breath long enough to swim out. So the whole thing is just, oh boy. There we go. We're getting on my tangent. I don't think the issue here is them trusting Goldine. The reason they wanted Goldine to grab something from outside is they were unsure if there was an exit the way Goldine was going. They wanted to make sure, like, there was a way to get out because even if there was a way to the deck, you know, your water pressure idea... It could hold the door shut. They wouldn't have been able to get it open. So they wanted Goldine to go and check to make sure that, you know, find some seaweed to show us that you actually found a way outside so we know it's safe to go that way. But isn't it also established that they can communicate with Pokemon? Yeah. That was my main thing. Like, couldn't Goldine just come back and be like, Goldine, Goldine, and then Misty be like, oh, he found a way out. I... I think, though, whenever Ash had to communicate with Pikachu, Pikachu had to use hand gestures and stuff and made guesses. They don't exactly know what their Pokemon are saying. So, like, you know, they do the same thing with Pidgeotto later, and they will many times through the episode, you know, having him find something. Yeah, I know. I, I just think, I, I do think that the actual reason is because there's, like, an old thing where you, like, send a bird out, you know, from your ship to search for land, and then they bring something back, because obviously in the real world you can't talk to birds. I think that's that's what they were going for when they were doing all this, but I just thought it was kind of odd because like communication with Pokemon is established. Like I feel like yeah. I feel like Goldine could have just come back and been like, "Guys, I got it. We're safe." But you know, so that's why I question the trust thing, and I'm going to stand by that, Jeff. I, I don't think that I I think that uh, they just don't trust Goldine here. Maybe Goldine is like uh was it Bulbasaur and is a secret murderer, and we just don't know that because we haven't seen Goldine's backstory yet. Maybe. It's very possible. We then see Goldine swim through the halls of the ship and eventually come upon a blocked path. Goldine, so Goldine goes down and, and does a little plan after Misty says all this stuff. And so Goldine is like dives down and is swimming through the halls. The halls are full of water. And then Goldine turns around and sees Team Rocket drowning in the hallway. So they're like holding their throats and like just floating there. They appear to be dead. We then flash back up to Ash asking what is taking Goldine so long. And then we see Goldine emerge and push Team Rocket onto the stair platform that everyone is standing on. This understandably startles them all. Ash says, Team Rocket! And Brock says, Wow, they look terrible. Thanks, Brock. We see Team Rocket lying on the ground with blue on their face as they are spitting out water. They try to summon the strength to do their little poem again, but it doesn't work. Team Rocket then realizes who they are, so who Ash and the party are, and spring back to life. They grab their Pokeballs, and Jesse says, We've got you brats cornered. They throw out Ekans and Coughing and Ash and Brock throughout Charmander, Bulbasaur, Squirtle, and Geodude. 
And Ash, I'm pretty sure that is cheating, but whatever, I guess. Hey, there are no rules when you face Team Rocket, and I think Ash has decided that you don't always have to play by the rules. Are you actually insinuating that Ash has had some char character development during this show, Jeff? I am. I mean, you, before he'd be like, hey, that's against the rules. But now he's just like, whatever, I'm going to send four Pokemon against your two. I don't know what to, I don't know how to feel about this. In some ways, I feel betrayed by you. And in other ways, I think maybe he has grown a little bit as a character. It definitely can't be that, though. So I just think you betrayed me, Jeff. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm just kidding. I think I that's probably it, in all honesty. Right as they are about to battle, so everyone's throwing out their Pokemon. Right as they're about to battle, however, the ship starts to sway and we see it teetering on the pillar that it is resting on. The whole group begins to slide down the hallway. They crash into the wall. Misty says, the ship will roll if we don't do something quick. And Ash tells all the Pokemon to run to the other side of the ship. But this proves to be too much weight once they do this and the ship starts to, to teeter in the opposite direction, which then throws everybody down on that end of the hallway. Ash immediately tells all the Pokemon to run to the other side, because that seems like a bright move, because apparently he thinks that this that it will work this time. Isn't that like the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results? No, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same results. That's what I said, I thought. No, he said different results. Oh, okay. Well, you get my, you know what I mean. Yes. So anyway, yeah, I mean, he's, he tells them to immediately run back down the hallway. And then uh, expecting, like, something different to happen. But obviously, we know what's going to happen. But fortunately, Brock tells Geodude to stay. It appears he doesn't listen, but Meowth and Pikachu stay. So that sort of stabilizes the ship, but only bar barely. So Ash tells all the Pokemon to go back. Some of them actually stay. So Meowth and Pikachu hang back. Misty tells them to call their Pokemon back. But Ash says that if they do, then they will lose to Team Rocket. So at Misty's like, hey, we're all going to die, pull in your Pokemon, and then Ash goes, but no, we'll lose to Team Rocket. For that, Ash, you are now deeper on the wall of shame. Like, you are, you are putting bad priorities ahead of everybody's lives here by not taking in your Pokemon right away. You're going to the wall of shame. Yeah, for sure. Definitely with that. I mean, he's already on there, so it doesn't really matter, but he's not helping him get off. And I do want to say, Tyler, you were right. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. I got it wrong, and I just wanted to say that before I get, like, roasted in the comments. I, you know, I was gonna wait till we were done recording and be like, Jeff, you're insane. But we'll just, we'll just go with, I, I was just gonna let it be. I was gonna be a big person. You should be proud of me. And you should be proud of me for ex honoring my mistake and accepting that I made a mistake. We're, we're growing more than ashes during this podcast. I know. Wait, this is a beautiful moment. But going on with the episode, when the Pokemon were going back and forth, it made no sense, especially with Geodude and Coughing, because they can just levitate, so their weight was not being put onto the ship. I know Geodude was bouncing, so his was a little bit, but Coughing was just like going back and forth. His had nothing to do with, nothing to do with making the ship become unlevel. Right, absolutely. That's definitely part of it. Also, the whole, like, weight distribution thing, none of that makes any sense. Just none of it. <laughs> no, once it started going one way, they would have been gone, right? Well, yeah. 
dependent on how well unbalanced it was, but then, like, just pulling back the Pokemon with all of them being on one side of the hallway, I don't think that would have stabilized it. So, I, I don't know. They, you could really dig a lot into this, but, uh, yeah, it really doesn't make any sense, and I agree, the floating Pokemon, they definitely did not think of that. So Misty tells them to bring their Pokemon back in. Ash says that they will lose to Team Rocket. Brock initially agrees with Ash, but then Misty convinces everyone that the battle is not important so that they all call their po back in their Pokemon. So everyone's like, okay, fine. Misty's right. We probably shouldn't battle right now since we're about to die. They call back in their Pokemon, and this causes the ship to stabilize successfully as apparently the added Pokemon have unbalanced the ship. And I put in the comments that really none of this makes any sense, but I don't have time to dive into how into like how bad this whole thing is. It's just bad. Yeah, and we're kind of going into it anyway. I know. I can't help it, Jeff. It hurts. I mean, it makes for better listening when we just... Ha if we have nothing to tear apart about this podcast, it would just be us recapping the episodes, and that's no fun. Yeah, you're right. No one wants to listen to that kind of rambling. And also during this scene, in the Japanese original, Misty actually tells Team Rocket to return their Pokemon or she will throw them into the water herself. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, so she just threatens to drown them. Like, return your Pokemon or that, yeah, that's your fate. Wowzers. I wish they hadn't cut that out. That would have been pretty awesome. After this ordeal is over, Misty tells everyone that they have to agree to not battling and working together. Everyone is reluctant, but they shake hands and agree. The handshaking is definitely awkward, and Pikachu actually shocks me out a little when they do that. Come on, Pikachu. Out of all the people, Pikachu, and we will see a horrible thing Pikachu does later on, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, we Tyler's will. laughing. He knows what I'm talking about. Won't, won't mention it here, but Pikachu, he just... You kind of see a dark side of Pikachu this episode. Yeah, this is definitely dark Pikachu. I think a near-death experiences bring out the worst in the little guy. Once this is over, they get to work on finding out how to get out. Misty says that she has an idea because she built her own Saint Anne once, but it was only a model, so I'm not sure I feel much better about, like, her little plan. However, Misty explains that building this model has allowed her to learn the layout of the ship. She explains that they should head up to the hole and cut a hole from there in order to escape. They decide to start heading up, and Brock spots a staircase leading up. He throws out Onyx to make a staircase that they climb up. And in my opinion, that was not the smartest idea. We just had the scene. They ha also haven't moved from that scene, right? They're in the same hallway right. where it was rocking back and forth. So what does Brock do? He brings out his 500-pound rock snake. <laughs> <laughs> like, we just... And, like, all the other Pokemon together... I think Geodude might have been the heaviest out of all of them, and he weighed, like, 70 pounds or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe not even that. So, altogether, all those Pokemon maybe hit over 100 pounds, and then Brock is just throwing out his 500-pound Pokemon. Hey, like I like I said, Jeff, that these writers, they just didn't know what to do with it, physics-wise, so they're just like, screw it. We'll just do whatever we think feels right. So, we see them throughout... Uh, Onyx, and that puts the entire party in jeopardy, but fortunately the ship doesn't teeter this time. And we see them all walking, uh, and, and they all like walk up Onyx, using him as a staircase, and then we see them all walking down a dark hallway, and Ash sends out Charmander to use as a torch. Now, here's another issue I had. Uh, I don't know how generators work, but they 
the earlier part in the ship, they it was as bright as day, and now they can't see anything. Yeah, I'm wondering if maybe there were like different generators di- di- powering different parts of the ship because I feel like that comes up a couple of times where uh, some of the rooms they go into are dark and some are brightly lit. So I'm wondering if maybe there isn't just like, you know, kind of like circuits being thrown on different parts of the ship kind of a thing. That makes sense. But yeah, I have no idea. Maybe they just didn't even think of that and were like, this room feels like it should be dark. Let's make it dark. As they continue to walk, Ash asks where they are headed, and Misty says that they are headed to the engine room where the hole is the thinnest. She believes that they will have the best chance of cutting through from there. Before they hit the engine room, however, they come upon another stairwell that is completely on fire. James turns to Jesse and says, Jessica, whoever said beauty doesn't last must have been thinking of us, and they embrace on another they embrace one another in sadness. Misty tells them to knock it off. Man, Misty, ruining the mood here. He just doesn't want anything to do with them this episode. They do also during this whole thing, and I thought it was funny, because they mentioned that they are both good dressers, and pretty much saying, you know, why should people that dress as well as them die like this? They're saying that as they're embracing. In the Japanese original, they say that they will never forget each other. It's a little more sentimental. You know, I bet... Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, continue. I was going to say, you know, I bet that they changed that to, like, lighten the mood a little bit. Because that would have been kind of dark. And we've already had some dark stuff in here. Yeah, some other points I had. There are also other points where Misty and Team Rocket mention that they do not want to die. In the dub, I feel like death is never explicitly stated. You know, they say drown, but they never actually say the word die or death. Even during the funeral, I don't think they say they died. They just said they never came up. Yeah, I think they said they were, their exact words were that they were missing. Yeah, so they, in the dub at least, they were not using the word death, die, dead. They were just saying drown and kind of skirting the idea. Of, and it's just like, even as a 10-year-old, I'd be like, I know what's going on here. Yeah, like everybody knows that they're going to die. In fact, they should already be dead. Yeah. That's interesting, though. Anyway, after this happens, so they're above the, they're in a stairwell, it's on fire. Jesse and James are embracing one another. They think they're going to die. And they all begin thinking of another way, and Ash tells Pikachu to give him a little shock to jumpstart his brain. Pikachu does this, so they're all thinking of a way to get out, and Ash basically turns to Pikachu and is like, hey, can you give me a little shock to jumpstart my brain? Those are his exact words. Pikachu does, and Ash immediately says that he has an idea. He then throws out Bulbasaur. What the heck did we all just witness? Are we now to assume that Pikachu can give Ash a little shock to make him temporarily not as dumb? Does this ever come back into play again? I don't think it ever comes back in play, and Pikachu has shocked him plenty of times, and I would just say he is still as dim-witted as before. Right. Definitely. If it does have any actual effect on him, it's definitely not permanent. Bulbasaur, now out, uses its vines to extend and grab onto the door above the flames. Everyone begins to cross above the flames by shimmying on the vines. James is freaked out and says that he is staying, but Jesse slaps him to snap out of it. She says that she won't leave without him. That's nice. 
Ash then calls over and asks what and asks if they are coming. Everyone is already over, and I am not entirely sure how Bulbasaur did it. So you know, James is like, "I'm not going," and Jesse's like, "I won't leave without you." And they're having this nice moment, and then Ash ruins it because he's like, "Hey, we're already over here, including Bulbasaur." Bulbasaur had its vines sticking out, and everyone was climbing across it. How did Bulbasaur get across? Like, I just thought they were gonna sacrifice the little serial killer. Well, Bulbasaur's vines can extend, so I'm guessing they just held onto his vines, and Bulbasaur just you know, was bringing them in, so he just flew right over. Right. Okay, that makes sense. But anyway, Team Rocket freaks out and asks them to send back over the vines. And I just want to say that this could have been their chance to get rid of Team Rocket. I know it's not the noble thing to do, but I definitely would have considered it a little bit. Like, do I throw the vines from Bulbasaur? I mean, these guys have tried to steal my stuff and kill me multiple times. Maybe now's my yeah, chance to be rid of Yeah, it was kind of, of a them. jerk move on their part anyway, because they're just like, like, obviously Jesse and James are scared at this moment, so they're like, oh, let's freak them out even more and just all go over on the other side and not, and not let them across, or at least make them think they're not allowed across. Right. Like, you just play with emotions in a life or death situation here. That's pretty, pretty yeah, messed up. Yeah, and as soon as Jesse and James were freaking out before they got back over there, we go into our Who's That Pokemon segment. Who's That Pokemon? And our Who's That Pokemon for this week is Magikarp, which in ja Japanese is called Koiking. Hey, Jeff, while you take care of this, I'm just going to like run upstairs real quick. I'll be back in uh, five minutes. Funny, Tyler. <laughs> uh, so basic information about Magikarp. He is number 129 in the Pokedex. He's a water type. He's 2 feet 11 inches tall and weighs 22 pounds. He is known as the fish Pokemon. And he evolves into Gyarados at level 20. Magikarp's origin. So his name. Magikarp's name is a combination of magic and carp, possibly mocking the Magikarp as a species as someone with magic powers is generally thought to be quite powerful, when, which Magikarp is not. Though Carper said to be able to transform into dragons, which is magical in its own way. That is very magical. Yes, very. His Japanese name origin. So Koi Keen is a combination of Koi, which is carp, and Keen, giving its name an ironic slant similar to its English name. So he's like known as the Carp Keen. And also, I'm going to guess it's also based a little bit off of Koi Fish too, which are very popular in Japan. That was actually going to be my next question, because I definitely know about koi fish in Japan and wondered what that connection was. Yeah, and I don't know much about koi fish, but if koi means carp, maybe they're just another type of carp. Maybe. Now I'm curious. They have, them, they have some at the zoo around here. Yeah, I'll have it to look that up. Uh, what is Magikarp based off of? Magikarp is based on the Asian carp, which were easily frightened by disturbances in water and can jump 8 to 10 feet in the air. Magikarp's evolution into Gyarados is based on a legend about how carp that leaped over the Dragon Gate would become dragons. Several waterfalls and cataracts in China are believed to be the location of the Dragon Gate. This legend is an allegory of the drive and efforts needed to overcome obstacles this may have inspired an element in Pokemon Snap where after certain steps are taken, a Magikarp will splash its way into a waterfall where it evolves into Gyarados. Alright, now Magikarp's biology. 
Magikarp is a fish-like Pokemon with large, heavy, reddish-orange scales. It has large, vacant eyes and pink lips. Its pectoral and tail fins are white on its on its back is stiff three-peaked yellow fins. There is an identical fin on its underside. It also has long barbels. The barbels are white on a female and pale yellow on a male. A long-lived Magikarp is able to utilize its immense splashing power to leap high enough to scale mountains. It also has a strong enough immune system to survive in the most polluted of waters. However, it is usually overlooked by trainers because of its perceived weakness. Even in the heat of battles, it will do nothing but flop around. It is believed that the ancestors of Magikarp were actually much stronger than modern Magikarp, and this led scientists to research this species. Alright, some Pokedex entries on Magikarp. And before we get going, I want to say some of these Pokedex entries are just downright mean to Magikarp. I'm very excited for this now. Continue. So, Red and Blue says, In the distant past, it was somewhat stronger than the horribly weak descendants that exist today. <laughs> that is great. Yeah. Pokemon Gold says, An underpowered, pathetic Pokemon. It may jump high on rare occasions, but never more than seven feet. Okay, now this is a little meaner than I thought it was going to be. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, Pokemon Silver says, for no reason, it jumps and splashes about, making it easy for predators like Pidgeotto to catch it mid-jump. <laughs> so now it's saying that your awkward movements make you easy prey. Yep. Uh, Pokemon Ruby says, Magikarp is a pathetic excuse for a Pokemon <laughs> that is only capable of flopping and splashing. This behavior prompted scientists to undertake research into it. Wow, that's actually the worst one yet. Yeah, and then Pokemon Diamond says it is said to be the world's weakest Pokemon. No one knows why it has managed to survive. <laughs> oh, gosh. And Pokemon X says it is virtually worthless in terms of both power and speed. It is the most weak and pathetic Pokemon in the world. Okay, now that one's not even trying to be clever. It's just like, yeah, this Pokemon, screw that one. So that is Magikarp. Tyler, does this make you feel sorry for Magikarp after hearing what the Pokedex says about it? Actually, yeah, a little bit. Like, I was I was looking forward to it because, like, I thought that they were going to, like, throw some subtle shade. Like, you know, without just being, but instead they're like, it's downright pathetic. And, like, things like that. It's like, okay, that's maybe a little too a little too harsh. Like, Pokemon Diamond where it says no one knows why it has managed to survive. Now, that's just horrible. I mean, here are some words to describe it just from these Pokedex entries. And remind you, I skip Pokedex entries. I don't read them all. We've seen the word weak, pathetic, worthless, a pathetic excuse, horribly weak. Like, all those describe Magikarp in these six entries I chose. Yeah, that was definitely uh, definitely a little much. Yeah, and so that was our Who's That Pokemon segment. Yikes, poor Magikarp. All right. <laughs> I'm going to stop being so mean to the little guy. Jeez. Who's That Pokemon? We then see, so as a reminder from before, they have, you know, shot the whips you know, across a platform over a burning stairway. They've all climbed across and they left Team Rocket behind. 
Um, and Team Rocket's basically like, don't leave us behind, and yada, yada, yada. Well, anyway, we then see Ash and the party standing in what I assume is the engine room, with Team Rocket kneeling on the ground in front of them, completely out of breath. So it appears that they did help Team Rocket get across the fiery burning stairwell. Ash says that this is no time to take a break and sends out Charmander. Ash tells Charmander to use his flames to weld through the hole of the ship, and I'm not entirely sure how that's how welding works, but you get the idea. He's going to use flames to blow a hole through the ship. Charmander begins to blast the hole, and Misty explains that they should all grab a water Pokemon that can bring them to the surface. Just then, the water comes rushing in, and Ash calls Charmander back as Charmander's literally running away from this water stream, holding his tail in front of him, because as we know, if his tail gets extinguished, he will die. Ash and the party all grab their water Pokemon and begin swimming out, but Team Rocket is still standing in the ship, saying that they don't have the right Pokemon. It appears that they don't have any water Pokemon. And I guess this is the moment they decide to be rid of Team Rocket because they didn't even try to help them here. No, they're just like, you know, peace out, everybody. Sayonara. We're going to hop on our water Pokemon and fly out of this, this place, you know, leaving you behind. It was a bad time for Team Rocket. Meowth is prancing around the water saying that he hates water, especially wet water, and Jesse yells that they are in trouble because they can't escape without water Pokemon. Just then, we hear James giggling to himself, and Jesse asks him why he is doing that. Meowth says that he is cracking up just like the ship. Haha, <laughs> good pun. James then says that everyone made fun of him before, but now they will appreciate his genius. He reveals his golden Pokeball with none other than the Magikarp he paid way too much money for in the last episode. Jess and Meowth bow down to him and say that they aren't worthy. They both apologize to James. And you just mentioned the money, and I wanted to go back because I can't believe we didn't talk about this in the last episode. But he mentions their salary being used to pay for Magikarp, like next month's salary. James paid $300 for Magikarp, and that was supposed to be his and Jesse's next month's salary. So $150 a piece. I think they need a raise or something. Like, their boss is not paying them. Even in 1998 or 97 standards when this episode aired, he is not paying them a livable wage. Not only that, but I'm wondering if the, if their uh, pay is performance-based. In which case, I think the $150 might be a bit generous. Alright, if it is the performance-based, it's commission, maybe. Yeah, maybe on commission. Maybe they get, like, a, a, a chunk of whatever it is that they managed to bring back, which in their case would not be a whole heck of a lot. James then throws out Magikarp, and all three tie onto it, but it only flops in the shallow water of the ship. Jesse realizes that this fish can't actually swim, and the ship then sinks to the bottom of the ocean after teetering off the platform that it is resting on. So finally the ship has teetered off, and it has fallen into the dark abyss below. It appears that Team Rocket is done for. Dun dun dun. We then see Ash and the party standing on some debris. It appears to be some sort of like raft thing, kind of like what Rose stayed on while she let her boyfriend die. Um, and, and this debris floating in the water and they're wondering why Team Rocket hasn't come up yet. Maybe because you didn't help them and let them drown and sink to their deaths. Yeah, that probably had something to do with it. 
Brock says that there is nothing more they can do except search for dry land and offers the story of a man named Noah sending a bird to find land and then return with a branch. Ash throws out Pidgeotto and tells it to go looking for land and come back with whatever it can find. As Pidgeotto is flying around, it finds Magikarp, however, floating in the water with Team Rocket tied onto it. It appears the little guy pulled through and saved their lives after Ash and his group left them to die. We then flash back to the raft that the party is on, and Team Rocket is laid out before them. Ash says that not even Team Rocket deserved this. Apparently, Ash and everybody thinks Team Rocket is actually dead. Brock suggests they bury them at sea, and everyone agrees, so they begin pushing them off, and suddenly Team Rocket wakes up. The, uh, then Ash and everyone yell, Zombies! And Team Rocket gets upset, because, you know, I, I guess it's more reasonable to assume that you mis misdiagnose them as being dead than you know, them being actual zombies, but whatever. Pikachu, so, so they yell zombies and all that, and then Meowth has already been pushed in the water, so he's, like, splashing around, and he, like, grabs the side and pulls him back up onto the raft. And as he does this, Pikachu actually snaps his fingers in disappointment that Team Rocket is alive. I'm liking this delightfully evil side of Pikachu, honestly. Yeah, he's had some good moments in this episode. I, like, a complete character change. Yeah, like, he's actually an evil little dude. Like, he, like, snaps his fingers, like, shoot, once they wake up. Like, darn it, I thought they were dead and we were just gonna plummet their bodies into the water. Like, he, he was very disappointed in that. We then change scenes and see a raft made of debris floating in the ocean in the nighttime. Everyone is asleep except for Magikarp, who is flopping around on the raft, being useless. Day then comes and Ash is complaining about food. They all talk about how hungry they are and look at Magikarp and dream what they could make out of it. Meowth tries to take a bite out of Magikarp but breaks his teeth on its hard scales. Misty tells everyone to check their Pokédex because Magikarp is just scales and bones. Meowth says he wishes he had been told that earlier. Did they even try to fish? I mean, surely one of the Pokémon could be some help to catch some fish. They even had Charmander they could cook on its tail. The I just feel like there's got to be a way. They're in the big ocean. Find some fish. It's true. Like, especially Misty. Like, she could have pulled out her water Pokemon. I don't know if they'd kill fish, but, you know, it'd be worth a shot in a life or death situation. Water is her specialty. Oh, hey, see that? We've gone back to something she said earlier and used it against her. I like that. James gets upset because the fish isn't good for swimming or eating. He tells it that he doesn't want it to be that he doesn't want to be its master and kicks it into the water. Misty says she feels far, sorry for it. Just then, however, Magikarp actually begins to evolve, and it evolves into Gyarados, or is it Gyarados? Gyarados. Gyarados. Okay, it evolves into Gyarados. The Pokédex explains that it has a vicious temperament so that they should use extreme caution. It also explains that its fangs can crush stones and its scales are harder than steel. James steps up and introduces himself as Gyarados' master. He says, Obey me, and Gyarados roars at him. Just then, Misty throws out Goldeen, Starmie, and Staryu, and Brock says, How will you battle it? And Misty's response is, My strategy is to run away. That's actually pretty smart. We then see Misty has tied ropes to all three of these Pokemon, and they are pulling the raft as fast as they can away from the Gyarados as Misty yells, Run away. Gyarados chases them for a while and then begins roaring a confusing-sounding roar. They all stop, and Ash asks what it is doing. Brock says that it must be tired from having just evolved. 
However, Misty says, unless the stories are true, kind of like an old pirate, you know, hanging out with like the, the stories. She goes on to explain that sailors tell terrible stories of Gyarados and that this must be dragon rage. Just then a storm picks up and another two Gyarados emerge from the sea and then even two more. Yes, and they said they started to, you know, use Dragon Rage, and I want to take a moment to explain something about Dragon Rage. So you were having issues with the real-world physics of this episode? They even kind of screwed up Pokemon physics. Because even during Generation 1, when this episode came out, this move only did 40 HP of damage every time you used it. It had no weakness, Unless you were immune to dragon-type attacks, you had no weakness. It always did 40 hit points of damage. It is definitely not as strong as the anime made it out to be. 40 hit points is not a lot. And another fact, it is the only dragon-type attack in Generation 1. Interesting. That That is interesting information. I can just picture, like, Jeff being on this raft and these, like, Gyarados, like, start doing this crazy stuff. And they're like, it's Dragon Rage! And Jeff looks like... Well, good thing it only has 40 hit points. Yeah, so, and that makes me wonder, and it wasn't in in the on the Bulbapedia page, I wonder if in the actual Japanese version it was a different move? Ah, that's a good point. I'm wondering that as well. Maybe they just thought Dragon Rage sounded cool when they were doing the dub. Yeah, I'm looking up, maybe I missed something, so I'm looking it up right now just to see, but I don't... Yeah. Okay. I don't think it was told another move, so you can keep talking and I will. Let's... All right, we'll see if Jeff can find out the mystery. Everyone begins yelling as this is happening, so the storm picks up and, and these four, five Gyaradoses have emerged from the sea, and everyone begins yelling. Meow says that they are doomed as Gyarados begins spinning in a circle, creating a huge water cyclone. It is heading towards the raft and destroys it. Everyone is sucked up into the cyclone, and they are all trying to hang on to one another, but they can't. So they're, like, hanging on for dear life, and then their hands slip from one another's. The narrator then comes on and explains that the group is trapped in this water tornado, and that this is a fiendish twist of fate, and that these things are spiraling out of control. He asks if they will ever make it to dry land again. And here's the narrator always making jokes at the wrong time. Definitely at the wrong time. To be continued then comes across the screen, wrapping up our episode with yet another cliffhanger. Yep, and just so I don't forget, I did look it up. I could not find if that was another move. It does look like the move Twister, which didn't come until I believe Generation 2, so maybe they saw this and made a move based on it. But I don't know if it was Dragon Rage, which is not as strong. But again, Tyler, this was a great episode, one of my favorites. It's always been one of my favorites. As I said, last episode, this episode, and next episode is probably my three favorite, you know, series of episodes where it's always, you know, where they make that or maybe when they're going for the Saffron City Gym where they meet all the ghost Pokemon. But between that, these episodes and that episodes, they are some of my favorites. I agree. I've enjoyed them. It was getting a little dicey there for a while doing all these fillers, and it's nice to have some solid episodes coming up now. Yeah, and we, as I said before, we have some great episodes coming up. And if you want to tell us what you thought of the episodes, you can always tweet us at Pokemon Snapshot or leave us an email at the Pokemon Snapshot at gmail.com. But Tyler, that's the end of our episode. 
So, join us next week and we will be watching Island of the Giant Pokemon. I hope it's amazing, just like this one.